This is episode number 149 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have the legendary Coach Jack Leggett. Coach Leggett has over 1,300 career victories as a head coach. Um, he initially got his start at the University of Vermont at age 23. Um, later on in his career, he moved on to Clemson, where he took uh, the Clemson Tigers to the College World Series six times. In this episode, he talks about his core philosophy as a coach, how he coaches his players, um, how he coaches his coaches as well. He's had numerous uh, assistant coaches go on to become very successful head coaches at a very at very high levels as well. Um, and then we also get into his Team USA experience. He's been coaching um, with Team USA the last couple of years as, as the 18 and under head coach, and he talks a little about what that's like and what it's like to go on and play in other countries as well. So I think uh, everyone will enjoy this episode. Coach Leggett has, uh, like I said, over 1,300 career victories as a head coach. So he brings uh, so much experience to the table and, and you know, just so much wisdom and knowledge that you just can't get anywhere else other than just having to experience and learn and continue to grow as a coach over that long period of time. So here is Coach Jack Leggett. All right, we are now live. Coach, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Well, my pleasure, Patrick. I'm looking forward to talking baseball anytime I can. So uh, we met this past weekend at um, ABCA, and, you know, you've had a a really long coaching career and started out, um, you know, obviously you you played a little bit and then got into coaching right away. What would you say – was your I just right off the top of the top of your head like your your best your most favorite coaching moment? Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, probably get my first job when I was 23 years old at the University of Vermont. Uh, I just was anxious to uh, get into coaching. My father had been a coach for 40 years, at, you know, in different sports. And um, in order for me to get started, uh, I just got an opportunity when I was 23 years old at the University of Vermont. They were going to—it uh, was a club team at the time. I got paid $600, and uh, but it was going to be uh, changed to a varsity sport in June. And if I did a good job, they said, you know, that they would probably uh, be willing to hire me as a coach. And uh, so I did a good job. Evidently, it turned to varsity uh, status in June or July of that year, and uh, they hired me to be the coach and paid me $4,900. I had to get my master's out of that, uh, paid for my master's out of that, as well as uh, I didn't have any assistant coaches, no scholarship, obviously tough weather, did all the recruiting by myself, um, driving the vans, <laughs> um, teaching in the physical education department. So I think that was the, the best opportunity I could possibly have. And we had to uh, have practices, indoor practices in a short period of time because there's other uh, teams coming in. And we also uh, you know, had limited space. So I think it made me a better coach. I, it was probably the best opportunity a 23-year-old could have at the time. And I stayed there five years and <clears throat> got an opportunity to go to Western Carolina was there for nine years and then over at Clemson. And obviously there's a lot of really good um, game moments and times to go to Omaha and all those types of things at, at these other schools. Uh, but I think really the the most important jump start to my 
uh, career was uh, getting the opportunity when I was so young at the University of Vermont. Did you know at age 23 when you got that opportunity at the University of Vermont that you were going to be in coaching forever? Like, did you love it right away? Absolutely. I think you have to – I had a passion for it. Uh, I was a two-sport athlete in college, played football and baseball all all my years at the University of Maine. Um, you know, I had captained every team I'd ever been on, and, and so I had a passion for – playing and and I played three sports in high school football basketball and baseball my father was a coach we were around the gym all the time I had two brothers and a sister that were all athletic and were beating each other up all the time on the front yard or in the basketball court in the in the driveway and so I always knew I wanted to be involved in coaching and I had some great coaches along the way so high school football basketball baseball coaches were all really good and and uh and assistant coaches that, that made an impact on me at the same time during high school. And then I had uh, really good college coaches in baseball and football at Maine. And uh, I learned a lot. And at the same time, I always paid attention. And I knew that uh, the coaching was my thing. And, and uh, so when I got the opportunity at 23 years old, uh, the passion has not wavered one bit since that time. Matter of fact, it's still it's still uh, hanging in there pretty good right now. One of the the things that you're uh, you've been known for is uh, a lot of your assistants have gone on and become really good, uh, great head coaches. Actually, how did you coach your coaches? Well, there's a, there's a responsibility in in coaching your players, obviously, and giving them everything you've got and teaching them and developing them and, uh, you know, working hard to make sure that they develop into really good players and develop into helping the team win and so forth and, and teaching them the lessons that they need to learn to be successful outside of baseball. And then there's a responsibility of those that work with you of giving them your best and teaching them what you know so that if they do spread their wings and go off and become head coaches or assistant coaches other places that they are well prepared and that they are, um, you know, they have a good fundamental, good fundamentally sound base. Uh, and they know how to handle certain situations, discipline wise and things that happen on the field and off the field and so forth. And I think, um, I always took a lot of responsibility in that. And I was very fortunate to make really good decisions and hire, you know, good people that I felt had a chance to be really good assistants, but also good head coaches down the road. And, you know, all of the, most of the guys that, that hung around with me for six, seven, eight, nine years um, were extremely loyal, saw the value of being in our program, were learning along the way, and eventually found, uh, found their own niche somewhere else. But they were happy, and you treat them well, they, they stay for a while. Um, one a, a big thing kind of going off of uh, your response there is, you know, a lot of young coaches are trying to get into coaching, right? They're trying to land that first uh, paid position. Um, they're trying to be the next you in a sense, right? And so what would your advice be to someone who is maybe they should, they've been bouncing around for a little <laughs> bit or maybe they haven't even started yet? How, like, what's, what's your advice on how they should go about getting a, a full-time co- coaching role? 
Well, you've got to be willing to grind it out. I just spoke at the ABCA convention in Nashville. And there was probably 6,000 coaches in that room when I was talking. And one of the things that I mentioned is you've got to be able to grind it out and maybe start out as a volunteer, start out at a lower level uh, than maybe what you aspire to want to coach, um, increase your network, try to find uh, as many good people that are good role models, uh, coaching-wise and so forth, and and tap them for their, uh, you know, experience and their expertise and ask questions and uh, and then just get involved in camps, summer leagues, um, you know, and, and some at some point you'll, you'll bump into somebody who's got an opportunity for you, and if you make an impression and work hard and, you know, are disciplined and present yourself well all the time, um, then hopefully an opportunity jumps out at you and, and gives you gives you a chance, gives you that first chance. But it is difficult to get into coaching, uh, and there are limited opportunities in terms of, uh, you know, making a real good financial, um, you know, making a real good financial setup. So you have to – money was never the object for me. It was just always – getting an opportunity and I never thought about when I was at University of Vermont, never thought about getting to Western Carolina University down south. I never thought about, oh, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll be the coach at Clemson someday and I'll hopefully I'll get involved in USA Baseball. You know, I just decided early on that I was going to take advantage of the, these opportunities that I did have at Vermont and I was going to make the most of it and, you know, whatever happened after that, happens and uh so i think you can get so caught up and looking down the road that you forget about what what you really need to do to be successful and and that was one thing i always felt good about is i just kind of lived in the moment and worked as hard as i could and did as good a job as i could there and he got noticed at western carolina and then did a good job there and he got noticed at clemson and did a good job there, and then and when I was done coaching there, I got you know got noticed at USA Baseball, and and those are how the opportunities come along. It's just just do a good job, work hard at it, you know, be uh, present yourself well. Uh, <clears throat> don't ask more out of your players than you do yourself, and create a good example for them all the time, and create good relationships, and and usually good things happen to good people. Yeah, that's a great point, right? Like, make, make the big time where you're at um, and, and don't look too far down the road. One of the things that you were, you were telling me when, I was, when we were talking over the weekend is, is you always got to remember, you know, your players do need you. And you even gave me an example of how you looked out, looked out in the field one time and you saw, like, two or three of your players um, at the time their parents had cancer. And then another time you said there was a couple guys who, you know, whose parents had just committed suicide even. And... I think that's a good point. I think sometimes as coaches, like we, that is like at the end of the day, like we do need to remember, like the players do need us. They need you and they need you in tough times. And there's going to be adverse times for them, for you. Um, and I have always said, if you genuinely care about your players on and off the field, in the classroom, whatever the situation, any other than baseball players, and they know that and they feel that they will appreciate it and they will do anything for you and, and give you, uh, 
their maximum effort and their loyalty and, and so forth um, along the way, and you'll be able to coach and teach and drive them to a point that they uh, normally wouldn't if they didn't trust you and, and believe that you cared about them. So I really think that if you, if you love them, they'll love you back, and that will end up uh, creating an atmosphere where um, they're going to give you everything you need to have in order for them to get better and, and to win and so forth. So I think uh, all coaches and all young coaches need to understand that that's, that's the number one priority is – treating your players right, having mutual respect, and uh, and having them understand that you, you care about them and, and you're concerned about their lives outside of baseball. And, and I know that all sounds kind of trite and, you know, idealistic and all that, but it, it is the truth, and it's what I've tried to live by, and that's why I have what I think are really good relationships with my players. Um outside of baseball and after baseball and after I coach them and, and they know I care. Uh, they learned a lot of lessons along the way and that's what's the most gratifying. That's what's the most uh, satisfying and uh, all the things along the way, the wins and going to Omaha and, you know, going to super regionals and regionals and winning big games and all those kinds of things are, are exciting but in the end, they're fleeting moments, whereas the relationships you create are are moments that last a lifetime. And that's uh, that's what I'm most interested in. That's what I hang my hat on the most. And that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, it's beautifully said. I, I completely agree with that. How if you know, you have you've coached a lot of different players over the years, a lot of different personalities. How do you go about getting a player to buy in to what you want him to, to do? <clears throat> Uh, it goes back to, you know, having confidence on the field, uh, showing them drills, skills, techniques, strategies, fundamentals that will help them get better. Once they buy into the fact that, hey, this guy's helping me get better, he cares about me, um, then wherever they're from, it doesn't matter, you know, what part of the country they come from or what their background is or, you know, what their beliefs are or, what their family situation is. I think before it's all over, everybody um, who's playing baseball at any level wants to get better, wants to trust you, and wants to learn. And uh, I think if you can just create an atmosphere where they are learning and they see that you have confidence in what you're doing, and uh, they will follow and they will achieve and they will get better and they will be loyal and it just starts feeding on itself. And I've, I've seen it over and over and over. And if, uh, if you're really dedicated to what you're doing and they know you're in the trenches with them, um, you can really get these guys to achieve uncommon things and, and continually to, to try to uh, achieve things that maybe they didn't think they could achieve before. And, you know, I, I think one of the great uh, challenges of a coach is to bring kids from all different walks of life and from different backgrounds and different geographies, um, you know, together as one and become a team. And, and if you can do that, you, you, you've got really the makings of a, of being a good coach. And, um, 
you know, if you look at every major league roster, or minor league roster, or college roster, or high school, everybody comes from different backgrounds, different, you know, orientations. And, and uh, before it's all over, uh, the great thing about baseball or any other team sport is everybody does become a team and, and uh, becomes cohesive if, if you've got the right leader in charge, you can bring everybody together and make everybody feel equal and, and make everybody feel as one. And that's the challenge of it. That's the great challenge of coaching. Kind of going in the direction of uh, managing in game now, how would you, how do you go about making your lineup? Well, I think, you know, it starts in practice. You watch these kids in practice and you, decide which ones can execute, which ones can, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, you know, um, got to really watch them closely and, and you can figure out which ones and what their roles might be. And I think if, if, um, if you got good evaluation skills and you figure out what everybody's strengths and weaknesses are, then you can start plugging them in a lineup and, uh, you know, find out who your lead off hitter is, which guy can kind of stir things up and second hitter, which guy can execute and move runners over and hit behind, you know, hit behind runners and, and so forth. And and, uh, and your three or four or five hitters are guy, RBI guys that can, you know, figure out how to move guys across the plate in tough situations. And 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 you got, you know, guys six, seven, eight, hitter, and nine hitters are all guys that have roles and, and realize that everybody in a lineup at some point, it's going to be a leadoff hitter. Everybody in the lineup at some point is going to be a number two, three, or four hitter. And so everybody's got to figure out interchangeable roles and understand everybody else's role because it's going to be you someday and sometime during that game. And uh, and then you just on defense, you got to look for guys. I, I really was I really enjoyed defense and, and understood the value of it. And uh, if you can find guys out there that can play together, communicate, and work together as a unit uh, in the infield and in the outfield. And you've got a catcher behind the plate that's got leadership qualities and pitchers on the mound that battle, and you've got the makings of a good team. And So I think it starts in practice. It starts in your, you know, every time you go to the weight room and you're working and you find out who your leaders are, who your tough guys are, and who your competitors are, and I think that's, you know, that's that's how I always started. I always thought practice was a, a prelude to what you might be seeing in a game. Now, I, I didn't buy into this, hey, I'm a gamer, and practice is just another day for me. I just thought practice was always very important, and that's why I spent a lot of time putting practice plans together because I wanted to be organized and have them realize the value of uh, what practice and repetitions uh you know, an intensity and accountability that a practice can do for you. And if you can get them to buy into that, you'll find out who your players are during practice. Before uh, ACC play would start, would you try and mix the lineup up a little bit just to get, just to see what certain guys could do in game situations? Or would you try and make it pretty consistent um, even from the beginning of the season all the way to the end? Well, we usually had about, by 15 games or so before we started ACC play. And so I wanted to try to, you know, see if, uh, see what your lineup would be. You had an idea going into the first game 
but it always changed. I always said it always took about 20 games for me to feel like I knew what our best lineup was. Um, you know, defensively, offensively, who are what the pitchers' roles were, all that type of thing. Always said it took me almost a third of the season to figure out really what your best lineup was. And the earlier you can figure it out, the better. But at the same time, you've got to prepare the guys that aren't playing as much to be able to play. And, um, you know, so they've got to get some experience too. I always try to get players in there as much as I possibly could in, in game situations and, and substitute as best I could because these kids work hard in practice. And they're trying to figure out a way to get in the lineup more and help the team. And so you want to show them confidence and show them that their hard work is paying off. So I always felt I did a pretty good job of putting guys in the lineup and, and try to see what they could do in game situations. And it might have been, you know, when, when it looked like you had a lead or looked like you were behind or whatever, but I, I wanted to make sure that when there was an opportunity to put as many guys in as I could in order to prepare them for the time that, that it would happen, somebody got hurt, wasn't playing well, they had some experience. And so um, I think it was just a combination of, of both things, Patrick. I want to try to get a lineup going. But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that the other guys felt important and felt like they had a chance and, and prepare them for when they – when they got in the game. I mean, you look at the NFL right now in the NFL and you're seeing the second quarterback uh, in a lot of instances play because the other guy got hurt as the number one guy got hurt. So you've got to prepare these guys and treat them as if they're going to play. And um, I always felt like we did a pretty good job of that. How would you handle a player uh, who's, you know, really frustrated by a lack of playing time? Like maybe even as he's coming in and talk to you, or um, he's just he's not he's not really happy with how you know he's doing everything he can. He's working hard in practice. He's doing everything you ask, but there's just there's someone just better than him in front of him. Like how would you handle um, talking to that player? Well, it would happen a lot at Clemson. You know, I I, I always felt like there's going to be a good interteam competition. That's what they signed up for. Every kid who came was pretty much the best player on his team, the best player in his region, or sometimes best player in his state. And, you know, there's going to be times where you're going to have to battle and grind it up through. But, you know, I was always big on body language. I could kind of tell when a kid, you know, wasn't feeling it. And I would try to attack it first because I, I didn't want to go home thinking about it. I didn't want him going home thinking about it. I didn't want to be negative to anybody. So, Hey, you know, you got a question, you got a problem, let's go talk about it. Uh, or I put my arm around him and say, hey, this is the reason why I see you a little frustrated. This guy's just playing a little bit better. I feel like this is open a team right now. But I always had an open door policy. Come see me. Be positive. Uh, I've had guys come see me before in my office and talk and, and very respectfully you know, ask where they fit in and what, you know, what's going on. And, and when a kid did that, I always felt comfortable in uh, talking to him, giving him a straight answer, being honest with him. And, you know, I think when it was over, he left the room feeling good. I felt better. And in some ways, and sometimes when a kid had the guts enough to come in and just kind of talk to you, and uh, like I say, if he's respectful and brings up some good points, Sometimes it made me aware that, hey, maybe I, I do need to be giving this kid a shot. And then 
if I did, I at least knew this kid had confidence because he had shown me or told me and, and gave me the idea that he was confident in getting his opportunities. So I knew if you put him in, he was ready for it and he was confident, um, you know, to be able to execute. And so sometimes it did open my eyes and, and made me a little bit more aware of something I should be looking at a little bit better. That's a great point right there. If a player comes in to see you, that means he's, he's confident because he's kind of sticking up for himself and putting himself out there. Now, going over your yep. offensive approach now to to your uh, team, is there a certain approach that you like wanted all like all your players to have, or was it more leaving up to them? How would you go about the approach? Well, uh, again, it started in practice, and we would every time we took batting practice, or every time we did an offensive drill in practice, it it uh, was emphasized that execution is not optional it's required and so i used to have automatic situations uh, automatic situations you lead the inning off you got to find your way on base and you do that by base hit bunt getting a base hit in a walk drawing a walk getting hit by a pitch getting on by error um somehow you got to figure out a way so that was automatic when you're when you're that was my first automatic situation second automatic situation you get on first base you got to find a way to second. You get on, you know, you steal the base, you delay steal, you straight steal, you move up on a ball in the dirt. Uh, we bunch you over, we hit and run, um, sacrifice, base hit, but we got to get you to second base because that's scoring position. And another automatic situation was then up first and second base, nobody out. What do we do? Do we base hit, bunch you over? Do we sacrifice you over? We got to figure out a way to move both guys over there. And if you give up the out, we move two guys to scoring position. And so I, I call that an automatic situation. Another automatic situation is man on second base, nobody out. What do we got to do? We got to push bunt for a righty. We got to drag bunt for a lefty. We've got to hit a ball to the right side if we're a lefty. Hit a ball to the right side if we're a righty. Um, hit a ball deep enough so he tags and moves over. We have got to get him to third base. And that situation, that's not an This is with nobody out. This is not a, an optional situation. You know, I'm going to try to do this. I'm, no, you have to do it. And you have to have the right mindset when you get a batter's box to execute the plan. And then there's another automatic situation where it's men on second and third and nobody out. And the infield's back. We got to hit a ground ball to the right side, or a deep enough fly ball, whatever it might be, where the guy on third scores. The guy on second moves over to third base. And so, if you're a lefty, you got to look for a pitch on the inner half. You got to get a pitch on the outer half. If you're righty, you do your job and do it early in the count, and um, not wait till you got two strikes and scramble trying to swing at a breaking ball in the dirt or a slide in the dirt. You got to get your job done, get it done early in the count, find the first available pitch to do your job. And we would talk about these things during practice, and we would, you know, figure out drills so that they understood that was going to happen. And when they got in batter's box, that's what they needed to be thinking. As soon as the situation applied itself on the field, as you're walking to the batter's box, you already know that's an automatic situation and you got to take care of your business. And the other situation is man on third, nobody out infield back or infield in and you have to 
see what the defense has given you. If the infield's back, you've got to scramble. They have 15 Hopper to the second base on a shortstop. Whatever you have to do to get that guy in with less than two outs, that's an automatic situation, and that's something that uh, we emphasize all the time. If the infield was in, you got to drive a ball back to the middle, and you got to hit a ball up in the air, you know, in the outfield and get the guy in. You've got to figure out a way to score the guy with less than two outs with a man on third base. So I've just showed uh, six, you know, situations at you, automatic situations, I call them. Um, and that was our offensive approach is just you have to figure out a way and understand the game well enough so that you are willing to and understand the value of it and help the teammate, help your teammates win, help the team win, uh, what you have to do to make the game flow. And so there would be a lot of emphasis based, placed on that during practice and talked about it and during batting practice and so forth that they understood uh, that they had a job to do every time they came to the plate. And, and uh, it's all about handing, handing the baton off to the guy behind you and having him pick you up and having him, you know, get you to a better scoring position and eventually cross the plate. And I think if they understand that everybody needs to be and should be willing to do those things for the team, then uh, it becomes a much more fun game. Did anyone ever get, did you ever give uh, anyone the green light 3 now? Sure. That was a guy on base, then on second base, and the you know, RBI situation, and he knew a fastball was coming. He had a good hitter. It was hot. And, you know, there were times where, you know, he just felt good about taking that chance, and you knew he was going to get a fastball, a good fastball hitter, and, you know, you zone in the right pitch, your mind is on go, and you're looking for pitching in a certain zone, and, yeah, I, I have for sure. So you've had over 1,300 career victories as a head coach, um, college baseball. You think you'll ever go back to coaching college baseball again? Oh, I love it. I love – I miss the game. I miss the coaching. I miss the players. I miss the – the camaraderie, the practice, the competition, I miss all of that. It's, I think you can tell by talking to me or being around that I've got a passion for. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I ran into the wrong athletic director who felt a little different. And, uh, you know, I, I still would be coaching. I still would be, you know, having good teams and so forth, you know, creating a really good program. If I was still uh, at Clemson, I, I would be, uh, they'd be getting everything I got. But, um, you know, the chain was kind of broken at that time. I got involved with USA Baseball and, um, you know, it's just difficult to get back in it. And some of these athletic directors think they need to have a young guy or somebody. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, far as experience, passion, energy, and those kinds of things, I still still have all those things uh, going for me, but I don't know if it'll happen. I imagine if the really, really right situation with an athletic director who believed in me and believed what I could do for that school program approached me, then that would be another something I certainly would consider, but um, my 
I'm going to go chase one down. I don't think that's, I don't think that's where I'm at right now. I think, uh, you know, somebody's uh, smart enough to figure it out or astute enough to figure out that I, I still have some value then, then, uh, you know, it's something I would, I would think about, but at the same time, uh, you know, I just love talking to coaches. I love talking to teams. I love imparting my experience uh, to coaches, and, and uh, like I did in the, AD, the ABCA convention, and a lot of good feedback because I think there's a lot of people out there looking to figure out how they can become better at this profession, and, and uh, so I'd like to try to figure out how I can help as many people as, as possible. That's why I've got this. LLC set up at consulting, mentoring, uh, clinics, talking to teams, talking to coaches, and, and trying to help them improve their programs. And, and uh, so I, I think that's, I guess, where my niche is right now. But at the same time, uh, I love coaching USA Baseball and, and having a team and being around other really good coaches and being around uh, – talented, eager uh, coaches and that's, uh, I mean, and players and coaches. And that's, uh, that's what really got me going the last few years. Yeah. So what, what is it like coaching USA baseball? Like how does the, um, how does it, how does that exactly work? Well, I, I've always been asked to do this, you know, several times leading up uh, to this uh, until three years ago. While I was coaching, I, I got asked to do it, and I, I just didn't have the time. I had recruiting camps, and I was giving my all to uh, Clemson, and uh, so I passed up some opportunities to get involved with USA Baseball, and then once I was done coaching, um, I had more time, and so I gave it a shot, loved it, met some great people, had an opportunity through Matt Blood and Frank Jagoda, um, the directors of the 18U program, and they had confidence in, in me, and, and uh, I was lucky to be surrounded by some really good coaches and some really good players, and, you know, it just was a really good fit, and we had a lot of fun. I've seen parts of the world I, I wouldn't normally have seen and, and met people I wouldn't normally have met, so it was in that way, it was a blessing in disguise, and, and uh, um, just able to get involved in the grassroots and with the national team development program, tournament of stars, first of all, national team development program, and then uh, did the trials. And at the end of all that, um, Matt Blood asked me if I wanted to coach the 18 U team, and. Uh, I certainly was excited about that opportunity. And then uh, when Matt left to go to professional baseball, Frank to go to, you know, uh, honored our commitment to coaching for the second year. And we, uh, we had a blast and had a great opportunity and, and a great experience. And so it was a, it was really, really a good thing for me. I really enjoyed it. What's the, What's the thing that you notice when you go to other countries and how, in regards to like how they approach and play the game? Well, they're hungry. They love the game. You can tell they're passionate about it. 
whether it be in South Korea or in Taiwan, Chinese Taipei or Japan, uh, you know, Panama, Canada, Australia. I mean, all these, Spain, all these places are passionate about it and they want to get better at it. And the players are. Um, I think I noticed that they, they're hungry, but our kids were hungry. It's all about what you ask of them and how much you demand of them and what kind of culture you set for them. And uh, so our kids played every bit as hard, every bit as tough as anybody in the world. And, uh, you know, and, and we're as, as every bit as fundamentally sound as any of them. I think uh, nowadays maybe the culture in professional baseball is more of a long ball, too many strikeouts, you know, swinging uphill, launch angle, all this kind of thing, which has got some value, I'm sure. But in the end, you got to be able to move runners around and execute and get your bunts down and hit behind runners and, you know, put balls in play. And um, that's my philosophy in general. That's my philosophy is just put pressure on the defense and, and at the same time um, put balls in play. Make the defense work and give yourself opportunities for them to make mistakes and put pressure on them. So um, I think there's a little difference in that thought process maybe throughout the world. But, again, it's what you emphasize in practice and, and how important it is for you to to let them know that's how we're going to play the game, that's how we need to play the game, and have them buy into that. And if they do, then you know, they can play with anybody in the world and, be prepared to play against their style of play. Awesome. It's great stuff, Coach. If someone wants to get in contact with you, I know you said you have an LLC and you do some consulting. Um, what's the best way right. for them to, to go about that? Well, I've got, I've got a uh, person working for me named Matt Morris. Uh, Matt Morris uh, Companies, LLC. But also, if you can go to Jack Leggett's dot com and go to my website and it'll show some of the blogs that I've written, some of our background, what we're trying to do with this. Um, and so they can go there and from that point, you know, put their name in their email, whatever, and then we'll and contact us and uh, see what we can do to help and see what we can do to help improve your program and you know, it's developed into this into a little bit of a business, just like anybody else would with the engineering or business, or whatever. I think there's a there's a, a need for an experienced coach who's you know been successful in, in, in some ways uh, to be able to give you their insights and and uh, experience and. Um, and so I'm hoping there's there's, a, there's an avenue that, uh, that we could help in some way. And so I think that's the best way to go. And, you know, my, my phone number is there. And uh, I think start with the email um, and, and start with the uh, website. And I've got an email, Jack Leggett Unlimited, LLC. Um, that's my LLC. But the, the email is Jack Leggett Unlimited at gmail.com 
and so they can start there as well, and we can contact you back. And, and if you can start there, um, have enough interest and can fundraise a little bit or have it in your budget or, um, you know, whatever, we'll be glad to talk to you and see what I can do to help and, and uh, see if we can give you some help in your program or you as a coach or even as a player, there's a player out there listening. So that's what I'm doing now, and I'm enjoying that part of it and the flexibility of it. But at the same time, uh, I do miss the teaching, uh, you know, uh, on the field and and the coaching on the field and so forth. And uh, so there's some avenues for that as well at certain levels of baseball that, uh, that might be able to help you as well. So I appreciate everything, Patrick, and, and – uh, know if there's anything else i can do to help you enjoy the podcast today yeah thanks thanks again for coming on today coach great stuff well my pleasure my pleasure keep in touch and best of luck with your uh, new endeavors and and uh if you ever need any buddy to talk to you give me a holler okay thank you